Happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. I'm Pastor Tim. It's an honor to come into your home today. Hey, hopefully you're enjoying some sunshine as states are starting to take those first tiny little steps towards reopening. Now here in New Jersey, our church building, uh, they're closed through the remainder of May. And next week, I'm going to give you an update about our plans for June. So stay tuned. Uh, also next week, I'm starting a new sermon series called Surviving the Dip. Do you like roller coasters? Because this series is inspired by one. Check out this quick trailer. I'm getting a little vertigo right there. Let's be honest. Life is not always up and to the right. Sometimes we hit a dip that causes us to doubt. So if you've ever wrestled with trusting God, when life gets hard, good news, you're in a prime position to grow spiritually. Um, Surviving the Dip is a three-week series. It's based on the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, who's gonna teach us that if you lean in during these difficult times, your dip of doubt can create spiritual momentum and an even deeper trust in Jesus Christ. So it's really perfect timing as our whole nation kind of comes out of a dip. So invite your family and friends to join us next week. Now listen, today I wanna share uh, second part of a conversation about race and reconciliation that we began last week called The Third Option. Did you love Miles McPherson last week? Make some noise in the chat. Miles was awesome. You know, somebody said to, uh, in the comments, they said, hey, he should have had his own comedy special on Netflix. I thought Miles was the perfect messenger to tackle this really touchy topic of race. Uh, Miles's background, I, I describe it kind of like the United Nations. You know, he had uh, a black grandma, a white grandma, a Chinese grandfather, and growing up, he was told he was adopted from Puerto Rico. So I appreciated his challenge really to all of us to give in-group love to your out-group. In other words, broaden your circle of friends, not just the in-group of those who are like you, but include those who are in your out-group, those with different backgrounds and perspectives so that you can learn. And Miles said, we need to acknowledge color. You know, I think it's popular for a lot of times Christians say, well, you know, I'm, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. But that's often heard as, well, I don't see you. You're invisible. I'm actually not interested in understanding your experience or the burden that you carry. Remember, guys, God created color, and that's awesome. And he challenged us to view every conversation as a race consultation. In other words, we all have something to learn as we listen to those from different racial backgrounds. So this past Wednesday night, we hosted a conversation on Facebook Live with 11 pastors to discuss racial reconciliation. And we had pastors who were uh, black and white, Indian, Korean, Puerto Rican. It was a little picture of heaven's diversity. And we want to continue this conversation one more week, really, to get the Bible's perspective on racial unity. Like, where does it come from biblically? What's it look like practically? Now, quick heads up to you. We're going to end this service today with communion. So if you're watching at home, you might want to send somebody to the kitchen to grab some grape juice or wine and crackers or a piece of bread. We're going to celebrate communion to close. Now, a couple of people online, they did ask me this week. They said, Pastor Tim, why are we talking about racism so much? Um, well, if you're so tired of hearing about racism, imagine how tired people must be of experiencing it. <laughs> you know, a few weeks ago, um, on a uh, real sober note, I got a DM from an Asian friend of mine who attends our church, and he was commuting into the city for work. He said, uh, pray for me, Tim. I was attacked verbally going into New York City. Um, I said, what happened? And um, he said, a guy with a mask 
um, came up to him while he was commuting. And um, this is really brutal. I want to read his exact words to you. He came up to him and he said, coronavirus is your fault. Why don't you people stop eating bats? Like just totally ignorant and cruel. Um, obviously referring to the, you know, the theory that COVID started in a wet market in Wuhan, China. And my friend was like, he was like his dagger to his heart. And sadly, that kind of vicious racial hostility we're seeing more and more against Asian Americans because of the coronavirus. Now, to his credit, my friend didn't react. He leaned into Jesus. He prayed for the person who said that to him, but it was deeply wounding to his heart and soul. And guys, that is one of the reasons why Christ fathers, we've got to stand up and speak up because racism is nothing new. It's actually as old as the New Testament. Uh, racial division has been a virus in the church for thousands of years. In fact, at the birth of Christianity, there was deep racial division, not between two groups of people. It was between six groups. Uh, Jews uh, were against Gentiles. Jews considered Gentiles second-class citizens. They believed they were the chosen people, and they looked down on non-Jews. They actually openly called Samaritans half-breeds. You had slaves versus masters. Slaves were poor people, masters wealthy, and slaves came from another country, so it was considered immigrants. They didn't have equal rights under the law. And then you had women versus men. Women had no rights at all in the first century. It was a patriarchal culture. They were denied education in a seat at the table. So in the first century, look at this. There were deep division across every line, race, religion, and gender. In fact, bigotry was so deeply ingrained in the first century culture that Jewish men, this is going to blow your mind, they recited a prayer every morning when they got out of bed. And the prayer went like this. They said, oh God, my creator, I thank you that you have not made me a Gentile. I thank you, God, that you have not made me a slave. And blessed are you, O God, because you have not made me a, a woman. Now, I want you to think about this. From birth, every Jewish boy was taught to memorize and recite that prayer first thing in the morning. Ladies, I want you to imagine every morning your husband swings his legs out of bed. He says, God, thank you for not making me female. And then he leans over and says, good morning, sweetheart. <laughs> Obviously, deeply bigoted, belittling prayer, racist, classist, and sexist. And yet this is the culture that Jesus was born into. This is the toxic culture that the church of Jesus was birthed in, and nobody questioned it. Even Jesus's original disciples held deeply racist attitudes. They felt Jews were superior to Gentiles. Masters were superior to slaves. Men were superior to women. It's just the way the world is. And what happened is all six groups showed up for church. You think we got problems? Racism infected the early church. And the question was, how do these six groups find healing and unity in a culture that's so bitterly divided? Well, God gives an answer in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there or look it up on your phone. Paul wrote this letter to a first century church that was racially divided. And he wanted them to understand how central unity is to the kingdom of God. So he wrote these words in Ephesians 2. Let's read these verses together, church. Paul writes, But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Look what it says. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Jesus did this 
by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. And watch this. He made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. And here's the promise. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. In other words, Christian unity is based on Christ. Guys, as Christians, we believe on the cross, Jesus Christ not only built a bridge to God, he took a sledgehammer and knocked down the walls of hostility that separate people. Guys, the cross is both vertical and horizontal. In other words, your relationship with God, it's connected to your relationship with others on earth. And because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, think about this, two groups who are bitterly divided came together and became one new family. Now, how does that work? Like, how, how do you take two separate groups and bond them together into one brand new family? Paul says, I want you to look at the cross of Jesus and think of it this way. The cross is God's emulsifier. Now, this is a fancy scientific word. Do you guys know what an emulsifier is? Here's the definition. It's just a substance that bonds two different elements and brings them together. It hooks them up. These are two elements that were naturally separated and typically in normal circumstances just kind of repel each other. Let me give you a real world example out of my kitchen. Take, for instance, one of my favorite condiments, mayonnaise. Anybody else a mayo man? I'm a mayo man. Praise God for mayonnaise. Okay, I love this on my sandwich. Here's what you may not know. Mayonnaise is made up of two ingredients that don't get along. Oil and water, right? They don't mix. They can't mix, won't mix. No matter what you do to hook up oil and water, you can blend them together. They're going to separate and go their separate ways. You can try this in your kitchen. And that's because oil and water have totally different molecular makeups. They're different elements. They don't mix. They don't get along naturally. That's the problem because you need oil and water to make mayonnaise. No water, no mayo. No oil, no mayo. So how do you get it? The answer is emulsification. Emulsification is when you take an outside agent that takes each of those ingredients, brings them together, bonds them together, and in the process, you get something brand new. Miracle Whip. You get mayonnaise, man. In the case of mayo, man, you know what the emulsifier is? Hello, eggs. It literally is the thing that invented mayonnaise. It takes the oil, takes the water, brings them together, bonds them together, so you and I can have a tasty sandwich. Praise Jesus, all right? Guess what? Paul's saying God provided an emulsifier for the races. And Ephesians 2 says that emulsifier is the blood of Jesus Christ. It brings together the different races, the backgrounds, the culture, and it bonds them together. Paul says the cross of Jesus made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two different groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. In other words, guys, the blood of Jesus literally is our divine emulsifier. It's what brings the races together, bonds us. Now listen, as long as we don't abandon the cross. Just like if you don't got eggs, you don't get mayo. If you ain't got the cross, you don't get racial unity. You know why we don't have racial unity like God designed it? 
because our culture has abandoned the cross. Our culture is all about divisive labels. Well, it's black versus white. It's conservative versus liberal. It's gay versus straight. Us versus them. But to be a follower of Christ, it means you and I have this divine emulsifier, the blood of Jesus Christ, which overrides all those divisions and bonds us to God, watch, and then to each other, vertical, horizontal. It says, Jesus united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. I love that image. See, Christians typically see, well, the cross is the bridge that gets us to God, and that's true. But my friend Rich Velotis says it's also a sledgehammer that knocks down the walls that separate people. Paul says, imagine this giant, you know, Berlin Wall, the great wall of hostility that separates different races. And he says, on the cross, Jesus took a jackhammer to that wall. You know, on Wednesday night on Facebook Live, we hosted a special guest, my friend Rich Velotis, who pastors a wonderful church in Queens, New York. It's actually right uh, by Elmhurst at the heart of the coronavirus outbreak. It's called New Life Fellowship. It's a beautiful church, multi-ethnic church. Over 75 nations are represented in their congregation. And Rich said something provocative. He said, you know, if you really want to unearth the roots of racism in your own heart, Christians need to ask themselves three questions. And I wrote these down. These three questions are perfect. I was like, we got to discuss these in our small group this week. The first question is this. What messages about race did you receive from your family of origin? Because growing up, our families did a lot to shape our view of different races. That's just natural through their words or attitudes or behaviors. Uh, for instance, Rich, he's actually Puerto Rican. And he said, Tim, growing up in Queens, he goes, I learned never to trust white people. <laughs> he said, if I ever saw a white person in our neighborhood, I was taught it's either an undercover cop <laughs> or they're here to buy drugs or they're lost. <laughs> he said, we just swipe their subway card and send them back uptown. That's just the message he absorbed growing up. It's not racist. It's just reality in Queens. See, we all have these like formative experiences. We all hear stories and messages. Some of them are lies and, and scripts we just follow growing up as kids. And what happens, guys, is it shapes our attitudes as adults. So this is a great question I want you to discuss with your small group this week. What message about race did you receive from your family of origin? Maybe there's multiple messages. Begin thinking. Here's a second question for your small group to unpack this week. Who are the people you were taught to fear? Now, for me, I grew up in the suburbs. Obviously, I'm white, although I got my COVID tan going on. I'm just outdoors now a lot. And I remember when we would drive through Patterson, my parents would always say to my brother and me in the backseat, they say, okay, windows up, kids, lock the doors. Whenever we drove through the rough you know, parts of town, Newark or Patterson, now, they were being protective, okay? But as a kid, the implicit message was, black folks on the street are dangerous. There's violent stuff going on there, boys, so, so stay roll the windows up, stay behind the glass, lock the doors. Now, my parents weren't racist, but that is, implicit assumption is shared by a lot of people who live in the cocoon of the suburbs. See, we all have blind spots, guys, and a lot of it comes from our families of origin. But when you accept Jesus, you're joining a brand new family. You're being adopted into the family of Christ. And here's the truth. You still got blind spots. Even though you got Jesus in your heart, you may have grandpa in your bones. <laughs> See, you can be a Christian, but if you are unwilling to be honest about what shaped your worldview, you may not even be aware of it. Like, have you ever met somebody, you probably had this experience, maybe you've met somebody who like, man, they, they're deeply committed Christian. They clearly love Jesus. But then they like have this crazy blind spot. 
You know, like, like, like the uncle who says, Timmy, never forget two things in life. It's important to love God with all your heart and never trust Dominicans. You'd be like, what? It's like a racist. Like, what, what, what is that? The, again, there's a saying, Jesus lives in his heart, but grandpa lives in his bones. And sometimes it can be hard to break free from the attitudes and the assumptions that we inherited from our earthly family of origin. So you need to reflect honestly on that. We got to actually repent of that. Because racism is based on the sin of superiority, right? Thank God I'm not a Gentile or a slave or a redneck down south or fill in the blank your bias of choice. Racism is essentially saying, I am in a place of judgment over and above my brother or sister. So here's the last question for your small group this week. Who are the people you were taught were beneath you? Newsflash. Racial superiority is not always based on the color of skin. Did you know that? whether you're white or black, yellow, brown. In fact, one of the things I'm learning is that even within races of the same skin color, there's inter-race racism. For instance, in the Latino community, did you know this? I, Rich was talking about this. There's actually hostility between Puerto Ricans and Dominicans. And then there's hostility between Dominicans and Haitians. And animosity between Mexicans and Salvadorans. And like, you can look and stand and say, wait, what? what? I thought they were both Latinx. Like, that's how pervasive the sin of racism is. There's inter-race racism. It's not just about skin color. It comes from this sinful attitude that says, I am better than you. I am superior to you. I have more worth than you. It's saying to another person, you're actually less than me. You're beneath me in some way. You know, when this gets absorbed into your skin, into your soul as a child, it can be devastating. On Wednesday night, one of our Korean pastors talked about growing up and feeling so inferior to her majority white peers as a little girl. She says she remembers wanting to wash the Korean off of me because of the shame that she felt. She actually remembers her sister would put tape on her eyelids to change the shape of her eyes. Guys, that's the toxic impact of racism. And we need to call it out for what it is. It's satanic. Because it poisons the truth that every man, woman, and child is created equally in the image of God. We are created by God with glorious worth as glorious equals. Equal in respect. Equal dignity. Equal honor. Equal love. God is our Father. So understand racism is not a white issue. It's not a black issue. It's not an Asian or Latino issue. It is a human issue that impacts every person. And that's what Jesus came to fix. It says, on the cross, Jesus united Jews and Gentiles into what? One people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Again, guys, get this in your heart. The cross isn't just a bridge that gets you to God. It's a sledgehammer that breaks down the wall of hostility between the races, between genders. The cross humbles those who've lived under the illusion of superiority. And it elevates those who've lived under the burden of inferiority. The cross is a racial jackhammer and it tears down the dividing walls. And let me tell you something. At the foot of this cross, the ground is level, amen? Type it in the chat. The ground is level at the cross. God sees our divide and he says, I'm gonna heal all this hostility between my children. They ain't getting along and I'm gonna get peace, but I'm not gonna do it by spilling black blood or white blood or blue blood. I'm gonna spill the red blood of my son, Jesus. He made peace between the Jews and Gentiles by creating himself one new people from the two groups. Guys, because of Jesus' sacrifice, there's no such thing anymore as us versus them. There's just us. 
And there'll be no justice until there's just us, you and me. Paul says, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He nailed racism to that cross. He nailed bias, bigotry to the cross. Jesus was not the only thing that died on that cross. So did the hostility towards each other. See guys, Christ's blood goes into our wounds like a vaccine and it kills the virus of racism, amen? It gives us a love for God who then gives us a love for others who look different than us. So, so, so to be a Christian, it doesn't just mean like, you know, well, hopefully God will blend us all together. You know, I'm, I'm on my way to heaven in the afterlife. It also means that God is transforming your way of relating to people on earth right now. Because you're no longer defined by being black or white or yellow or brown because of Jesus. It's like, we all bleed red. In Christ, we're blood brothers and sisters. In other words, because of Jesus, as a white man, I actually have more in common with my black brother or Asian sister than I do with my own biological family who don't know Christ. Jesus' blood, again, here it is. It's the great emulsifier that brings together people of different cultures and backgrounds and communities. It bonds us spiritually. God's dream is oneness. It's not sameness. You know that? God loves diversity. I mean, he created all races and, and variety and all sorts of uh, racial variety. In fact, you should know this. This is so important. Our diversity here on earth, did you know it's going to continue into heaven? Did you know that? The book of Revelation actually gives the racial profile of heaven. This is your future home if you're a Christian. Here it is. It says this. John looks at heaven. He's given a vision. He says, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from, let's read it out loud, church, from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. That's Jesus. They're wearing white robes and we're holding palm branches in their hands. You think New Jersey is racially diverse? Where do you get to heaven? <laughs> God pulls back the curtain and reveals this multi-ethnic family with this glorious racial profile. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, that's God's dream. That's your future family as a follower of Christ. So reality check, okay? Like gut check. If you don't like diversity on earth, you ain't gonna like heaven very much. <laughs> Understand something. Heaven will not dissolve our racial differences, the race you are now on earth will be your race in heaven. So if you're a Latino on earth, you will be a Latino in heaven. If you are black now, you'll be black in heaven. If you're Asian now, Asian in heaven. If you're white now, you still won't know how to dance in heaven. It's just the way, <laughs> just the way it is, man. God's goal isn't for racial distinctions to like be obliterated and subsumed into some like giant uniform race in the sky. God isn't calling black believers to be white or white believers to be brown. He wants all of us to be biblical. Oneness does not replace race, it overrides it. And oneness in Christ takes priority. Look what Paul writes in Galatians 3. Get this in your spirit. There's neither Jew now nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote these words, he shook the first century world. He shook the Jews. He rocked the Gentiles. He shook the slave owners. Never before in the history of humanity had someone dared to declare equality between the races, the classes, and the sexes. The gospel knocked over every dividing wall. And you notice the order that Paul addresses them in? 
Did you hear what he said? Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. Hmm, where have we heard those combinations before? Remember Paul was a Jewish man? In other words, he grew up reciting the same prejudicial prayer every morning. God, thank you for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And Paul says, wrong prayer. That's a bigoted, prejudiced prayer. What's the gospel, the good news? You are all, what's the word? One in Christ Jesus. Type the word unity. Unity in Christ, guys. That became the battle cry in the early church. It was the church that flung open its doors to every tribe, tongue, and nation. To Greeks and Italians, to Africans, to the rich, to the poor. It was the church of Jesus Christ that championed racial and gender equality in a bitterly divided world and helped heal that divide. See, guys, the Christian vision of unity in Christ, it gives us such hope in a fractured world. I mean, just think about this. If the early church hadn't overcome their racial divisions, you and I wouldn't be here right now. Like, there would be no black Christians, yellow Christians, Middle Eastern Christians, Latino Christians, Asian Christians, Aboriginal Christians. Through Christ, they overcame that racial hostility. And notice something. The solution didn't come from the culture, did it? The solution didn't come from the government. It came from the church of Jesus Christ because we have the power. We have the cross. We have the message. The only thing we don't have is an excuse. Oh, I'm preaching now. Did that, that land there? Guys, we don't have an excuse. So here's a question to end. What can you do this week to take steps towards unity? What can you do, like in a real-time way? I want you to discuss this, guys, in your small groups. We want this to be an ongoing discussion. And I want to end with this little acrostic to give you three next steps. R-A-C-E, race. The R stands for a first step. We all have to repent of our ignorance. We all have racial blinders. Prejudice is almost impossible to see in the mirror because it's hidden in our hearts. So the change has to start at the heart level. Guys, when we look around right now, people are like, the world's on fire. Instead of pointing fingers, you got to look in your heart and see if somebody lit a match. Like, I realize I've been blind to racial complexities. You have to look honestly at your family of origin and the stories, the messages, the lies, the scripts that have shaped you and repent of ignorance. This is a deeply complex issue. Don't say, well, it's just simple, you know, just love everybody. It's been said, the further you are from a problem, the simpler the solution looks. So repent of ignorance. A, ask questions. Have conversations like this, marked by humility. Guys, broaden your circle of friends to include people who are not part of your natural in-group. Ask them questions. Ask, it's, it's okay, by the way, if it's awkward. Take the posture of a student, not a learner. Or, I should basically say, don't pretend you're a teacher like you know everything. Nobody likes to know it all, okay? Instead of posting like a, a political rant on Facebook, how about actually meeting face-to-face -face or over Zoom with a friend? Ask questions and remember this. Don't forget, Christ is your emulsifier. He is the one who bonds us together with his blood. We are Christians first, then you are white, yellow, black, brown. And when God looks down at the end of the day, he sees red. He sees the blood of his son, which brings us peace with each other. It's the one thing that bonds us together forever as family. Guys, God's dream is unity in Christ and diversity in his family. And it's got to be our dream too. Can I just speak from the heart? As your pastor, I promise you, I will give my strength to that dream. I'm not afraid of this issue. I don't want you to be afraid either. 
It is time for the church to stand up and say to a culture that's more divided than ever, you know what? We're going to lead the way with racial reconciliation and unity because we're family and family sticks together. So if you see a brother or sister being put down, you stand up. You actually speak up and stick up for him or her. Because when it comes to race, God has spoken and he didn't stutter. As long as supremacy exists in any form, I mean, whether it's institutional racism or, or just that, you know, that joke that gets a free pass to the office, you got to call it. It's sin. And Christ's Father's got to lead the way in calling it out and repenting before a holy God. Guys, anytime you or I imagine, you know, that we're more than and somebody's less than, we discredit Christ. Jesus paid for our unity with his blood. Hypocrisy dishonors his sacrifice. To me, it's one of the blessings of being in a multi-ethnic church like Liquid. I mean, I had a small circle growing up, but now I, got, now I have friends and fellow leaders who are black and Asian and Puerto Rican and Indian. I, I work with Koreans and Latinos and Ecuadorians and Brazilians and Egyptians and Chinese and Pan-Asian. It's beautiful. It's a little taste of heaven. So Liquid Church, as long as I'm your pastor, let's be the glorious multi-ethnic family Jesus gave his life for. Every race, tribe, nation, tongue is welcome at this table, amen? And that's how we want to end today, by celebrating communion, coming to the table. You know what communion means? Communion actually means coming into union. Oneness with God, and watch, with each other. At the table, we are one family, and Christ is our uniter. On the cross, Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed. So that's why we always have a cup of simple grape juice or wine. And we often take the cracker representing his body broken for us. Guys, this is the emulsifier. It's the blood of Jesus, which the Bible says forgives our sins and makes us have peace with God and one another. Listen to that last verse in Ephesians. Paul says, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So let me challenge you right now. Take a moment to reflect. It's Memorial Day weekend. Let's remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And ask God, inspect my heart, God. What biases do I have that are hidden? Uproot anything, God, that I've not even been aware of. And just ask Jesus to forgive and cleanse and restore and give you grace-healed eyes to see your brothers and sisters like he does. And then we'll partake together of the Lord's Supper as one body united in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, today we come to the communion table in a spirit of repentance. God, we're humbled. We confess our sins. I do, Lord. There are biases I have that just need uprooting. There's some of them are even invisible to me, God. Open my eyes and change my heart. Let the change start in our church, Father. Illuminate the dark places. Give us a spirit of unity amidst our dazzling diversity. And right now at your table, we thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken and your blood shed that you tore down the wall separating us from a holy God and from each other. Father, I pray that we would become the church you dreamed of. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Guys, you can now partake of the elements, Jesus' body and blood, as we worship together.